0: Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at MontereyChurch.com.
1: Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and I would like to start today with a story. About two months ago, me, my sister Zoe, and my dad went to go ding-dong ditch Sam Souter. Yes, our worship leader, Sam Souter. For those who don't know, to ding-dong ditch is to wait till late at night, Go to somebody's house, run to the door, ring the doorbell, and run away. And if you're saying, well, Malcolm, that sounds childish, remember, my dad is Joey Drumright. <laughs> I am not responsible for my own actions. So we'd already done this to Sam about two times that night, so we thought, why not a third? So we drove home to get my mom, Erin, to see if she would like to do this with us. It took a little convincing, but she agreed. She went back with us, and here's a video of my mom, Erin Drumwright, ding-dong ditching Sam Saturn. Please watch the screens. (laughs) Yep, that was my mom. So the reason I'm showing you all of this is because my mom doesn't usually love doing that sort of thing, but because me and my family were enjoying messing with Sam late at night, she was willing to put our needs before her own. This is like God, because God doesn't put his needs before others. He wants to be with mankind, and he wants to put our needs before his. This is like a very famous scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, for that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like I was saying, this is like God because he's willing to sacrifice his own son to be with humankind. He wanted us to be with him and have eternal life. So whenever we believe in Jesus, we're able to be with God. Oh, and I would just like to say, don't ding-dong-ditch any random person because you'll probably get in trouble for it. So today we celebrate moms and the way they show God through their actions, words, and sacrificial love. And since it's Mother's Day, I wanted to share a few interesting facts about it. First... 122 million phones will ring today with children calling their moms. This is more than any other Sunday of the year. Secondly, Mother's Day is the busiest restaurant day of the year. More than one-third of American adults fight to get reservations to celebrate mom, thus making Mother's Day the busiest restaurant day of the year. Lastly, Mother's Day is the third most attended church service. We all know Easter and Christmas have the biggest attendances. But something about mom makes people want to show respect and focus on faith and family. Papa, is this true about Monterey? Is Mother's Day really that big here?
0: Uh, well, yeah, you can, uh, if we talk about Easter and Christmas, so Easter is by far the biggest Sunday that we have here at Monterey. So Easter's the biggest. And then if we were to look at services, we would say Christmas Eve, which isn't typically on a Sunday. Uh, and so really in terms of Sundays, Mother's Day would be the second largest for a Sunday. So you got, you got Easter, then you have Mother's Day for the two biggest at Monterey.
1: So, um, what about Father's Day?
0: We don't talk about attendance on Father's Day.
1: <laughs> Come on, why?
0: No, no, Please, we're not. Please, no. why? 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 No, why? Why, no, why, no, why, 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 okay, why? 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 Okay, stop. Welcome to my house. Okay, let, let me let me explain it this way. In 2022, on Mother's Day in person, we had 897 people here. 897 on Mother's Day. That's a lot of people. Yes, it is. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> On Father's Day, one month later, we had 619. That's not as many people. Six, yes, that's right, 619. <laughs> what does that tell you?
1: Sounds like there's something more special about moms.
0: What was that? I couldn't hear you. It, it
1: sounds like there's something more special about moms. Do you all agree with me, church?
0: <laughs> because it's Mother's Day and your mother's sitting right there, I agree, that's absolutely correct. There's something extra special about moms. Agreed, agreed. <laughs>
1: So, Mama, thank you for all that you do. And thank you all the mothers for all that you do for us. I love you so much.
0: Hey, let's give Malcolm a round of applause. (laughs) He bowed, right? I didn't see that part. (laughs) So, I just want to be clear that 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 is my son right there. Uh, And two is that he is not planning to apply for the preaching minister position that's available here, but he is available for speaking engagements. I am his manager and I take cash. (laughs) So between my first and third grades when I was growing up, my dad traveled a lot and my mom was left at home to take care of us three kids. I'm the baby, my sister, then my brother was the oldest. I want to be clear, I am not in denial. I understand this now. Some of you are going to either think it or say it to me later, and I'm in full agreement. We were horrible children. I just want to admit that now. We were horrible and we got in trouble all the time. I am full recognition of this as I begin to tell this story. When I was seven and my sister was 10, we owned a Honda 70 three-wheeler. This is what it looked like. It was really weird when I found this picture because this is exactly what it looked like, stickers and all. So we owned one of these right here. And by the way, these were banned in all 50 states. Three-wheelers were because they flip over so easy. And in reality, this was our brother's three-wheeler, not mine and my sister's. And while my brother was around and with his permission, we were allowed to ride it usually on the street in front of the house. When my dad was out of town, though, we were not allowed to ride the three-wheeler, mainly because my mom didn't know how to operate it. If it broke down, something happened. She didn't want to be responsible for having to get it back to the house and figure out what was happening. So when my dad was out of town, we were not allowed to ride the motorcycle. Now, separately, just a tidbit of information that's going to connect to my story in just a moment. When my mom washed her hair, she used a very special blow dryer to dry it. Now, this hair dryer is like nothing what most of you have ever seen in your lives before. It's an impressive thing. It actually was like a shower cap that sealed around the head and had this little tube coming out the back. Oh, I see some of you know of the shower cap, of this shower cap, this blow dryer. It looked like this. And it connected to the little box that was pretty much stationary. They did have a mobile version you can see there, but it was a stationary box. I remember that also. Uh, And my mom never looked this happy when she was wearing it, ever. (laughs) Uh, Mainly because it's so loud. It was so loud. And depending on how she had her haircut, she may have to have it over her ears. So she couldn't hear anything most of the time. So this one day, me and my sister, we knew that my mom was about to take a shower And that that meant we had about 30 to 45 minutes where mom would not know what in the world we were doing. So she went to go wash your hair and we knew she put on the blow dryer thing. And so we jumped on my brother's three-wheeler and took off across the neighborhood. Doing about 30 miles an hour on this three-wheeler, me and my sister were laughing, having a blast, having a ball and enjoying ourselves. Now, at about the 15-minute mark, we decided to go back to the house, check on my mom, because we're not stupid. We decided to go back and see where she was in the process. We turned the corner, and we see the house, and guess what we see on the front porch? My mom standing there, hair soaking wet, looking for us because we were nowhere in the house to be found. She had come out of the shower and decided, like any good parent would, to check on their kids to make sure horrible children like us weren't getting in trouble. She had decided to do that before putting on the hairdryer, so our time had been limited, and we didn't estimate it well. We got it. We pulled up. She started yelling at us, telling us how much trouble we were in and how we could have gotten hurt. The motorcycle could have flipped and took us to our rooms and grounded us. We didn't have permission. We could not come out for the rest of the day. So me and my sister are in a room separately. My mom goes into her room. We hear the blow dryer turn on and my door cracks open, and it's my sister, and she says, come on, we get a good 15 minutes before she's done, (laughs) and we take off on the three-wheeler of excitement throughout the neighborhood once again. I'm not making this up. We actually did do that. We were, I told you, I admit, we were horrible, horrible children. And this is the kind of stuff we did to my mom all the time when my dad was out of town and it drove my mom nuts on a regular basis. By the time my dad got back from road trips, my mom was pretty close to insane and ready to kill all three of her children. And so my dad would come home and us three little children would be in our rooms praying, please don't kill us daddy, please. And he would come in so angry. I remember this one phrase he would say to me. I know he said it to all of us, but he'd say to me that, I remember, and I've actually even said it to my own kids in the past. And she, he'd say this When your mom is upset, I am upset. When you hurt your mother, you hurt me. My dad always defended my mom, always knew the pain, always knew the hurt that she felt from us kids driving her. Crazy. When you hurt your mother, you hurt me. Do you think that God hurts when we hurt? There's a story in Genesis 16 that I want us to take a look at real quick. Again, Genesis 16, you go from your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever, the warm glow of Scripture on your face. Genesis 16 will be on the screen, so we're going to start in verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said because Abram is an idiot. Oops, sorry, that's my special notes there. (laughs) Verse 3, So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I'm just curious. In any relationships or marriages, have you ever been in such an argument that you look at the other person and you say, May the Lord judge between you and me. I'm going to start using that phrase in elders meetings. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she said. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel then added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called ber Lahat Rohai. is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. In those ancient times, just for some context, in those ancient times, it was a common practice for infertile wives to offer their maid or their servant or their slave to keep the family name alive. So Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, let's put ourselves in Hagar's role for a moment. Let's put ourselves in Hagar's position. Just a little context there also. She was a slave. She was not willing. This is not something she got to choose. She was a slave living in a land, not her own. She was Egyptian. She had been given to her master as a concubine for little more than to breed children. So once Hagar became pregnant, she began to despise Sarai, and Sarai began to mistreat her. Now, it's important also we understand that word where it says mistreat her. That word there to describe the treatment of Hagar, we find that in Genesis 16.6. And it's the Hebrew word anah. Anah would have been translated to afflict, humiliate, humble. Anah would have been translated as something pretty harsh. It's the same word you used in Exodus 1.11 to describe the Egyptians' treatment of Israelites. So Hagar may have despised Sarai. Sarai's treatment of Hagar was pretty harsh. So Hagar ran. It's also important to note Hagar's name in Hebrew means flight or forsaken. She's kind of living up to this name. I can imagine that Hagar, an Egyptian slave forced into a marriage in a bed of a man in a land that is not her home, would feel pretty forsaken. And so she takes flight. She runs And she runs into the desert, and there in the desert, God meets her where she is. The angel of the Lord arrives and calls her by name, Hagar, slave of Sarai. So first, it's important to know God calls her by her name. Hey, Hagar, I know your name. I know who you are. And then he adds slave of Sarai because he wanted Sarai to know. He wanted Hagar to know, I not only know your name, I know who you are. I know where you come from, and I know the struggles that you have been walking through. Then the angel of God asked her two questions. Where have you come from, and where are you going? Where do you come from, and where are you going? This is a a question that actually is very much so reminiscent of Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve hide from God, and God shows up and says, Oh, man, where are you? And asks a rhetorical question that he really wants a response Not because he doesn't know the answer any more than the angel here didn't know the answer. He asked because he wanted to start a relationship with Hagar. He wanted to understand where she was coming from, from her own mouth, not just because he automatically knew it. And he wanted to meet Hagar right where she was, not where God would have wanted her to be necessarily. God wanted this Egyptian slave to know she was important to him. He knew her plans and he wanted to walk alongside her, starting with wherever she was, and show her a better way of doing or viewing things. Now, here's the hard part. We've read through this. God meets her where she is. She's hurting. She's struggling. But here's the hard part because God gives Hagar clear instructions in the next verse, in verse 9. He says, return to your mistress and submit to her. See, right there we have that word anah show up again where it says submit. It basically is saying submit to your affliction, your humiliation. God wanted Hagar to return to her mistress knowing it would be hard, knowing what had happened previously, and knowing what was more than likely going to happen again. But God doesn't just stop and go back to the hurt. He says something else to prepare her. He blesses her, promises descendants without number, and gives her a hint of the man that her son would become. Then gives her her son's name, Ishmael. And that name means that God hears or God will hear. So he's telling Hagar, not only do I see who you are and what you're going through, I hear what you say. I hear the details of your life. God is trying to remind Hagar there's a bigger picture here, and I'm always present in it. God wants us to run marathons, not sprints. And that's hard. Because God knows the whole plan, not just a part, but too often we have a hard time seeing past the pain and the hurt of the here and now in order to see the end result, which is victory. But he does give Hagar a promise of a future hope and his blessing to her. As he does us, we have a promise of a future hope that is the end of the race we are running, that is God's path, to victory. We just don't always see it wherever we're sitting at the moment. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. See right there, Hagar gives God a new name. Hagar gives God a name. The name El-Rahi is a Hebrew name for God, meaning God who sees. It's is the only time in the Bible that we find this name used for God. This is the God who sees, the God who sees everything. This is El-Rahi, the God who sees, El-Rahi in my sorrow, El-Rahi in my joys, El-Rahi in my anah, in my affliction, humiliation. God sees our hardships, and while he may never promise to take them away from us, he promises you'll never walk through it alone. Much like the quote from my father, when we drove my mother crazy, when you hurt your mother, you hurt me. But in this case, it's when you hurt, I hurt, and you do not walk alone. Just like God saw and heard Hagar, he sees and hears you and me too. El Rahi is the God who knows every hair on our head. El Rahi knows everything that has happened in our lives. El Rahi knows our past, our present, and our future, and you will never walk that path alone because he meets you right wherever you are. God sees you in the weariness of motherhood, of fatherhood, of singleness, of marriage, of divorce, of death. Cancer, anxiety, depression. God sees you in your pain and your confusion and in your suffering. God sees you when you feel abandoned like nobody else cares and nobody else sees you, that you're just invisible. But the beautiful truth is that God is El-Rahi, the God who sees. But this God goes even further because he's the God who sees, but then he gives us Jesus the Christ. And Jesus is the God that we have who walks with you. We have a God who suffers with us. We have a God who suffers for us. We have a God... An amazing God who dwells with us, in us, and through us. We have a God who shows us the way. John 14. You can read on the screens, but if you just want to listen, just take this in for a moment. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he abides, he dwells, he has a relationship with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Father God, we are often so short-sighted. It's just hard for us to see past right now and right here. And so God, thank you for meeting us where we are. That we don't have to have everything right and everything straight and feeling good. That you meet us in the pit. You meet us in our hurt. And you walk alongside us that we can live in the storm while you walk alongside us, Father, that we're not there alone. And I pray, God, that we can see something larger than just the here and now, that we can see the promise of a future hope, that we can see the victory that is to come even in the midst of the storm that we may be facing right now. Thank you for choosing us and for not abandoning us and for being a part of us. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for his life. And I pray all these amazing things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?